It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome into the CHGO White Sox podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome in to our West Loop studios here in Studio A of the CHGO offices. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And I'm glad to be back with the boys. I can actually go through the normal introduction. On my far left is Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He is the CHGO White Sox beat writer and the man in the middle, Herb Lawrence. Hello. Follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He is the CHGO White Sox community leader. We'll be talking to you for the next hour about White Sox baseball and such. Uh, We got a rain delay. White Sox supposed to play in Cleveland today, but there's snow out in Cleveland, so they're not going to play today. They're going to reschedule that one to July 12th, so the White Sox will make that one up in Cleveland with a doubleheader. So we are off today. No pre- and post-game. We'll have pre- and post-games for tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday for you, and we are going to have some fun as well. What's up, Spags? What's up, Connor? You guys in the chat. Today, we're going to be talking about Tony La Russa. Vinny had a great piece up at allchgo.com talking about the mysticism inside Tony La Russa. We'll talk about that with him. We'll also talk about Andrew Vaughn in playing time. Herb and I have been getting into it, but now we get a little bit of a mediator. Congrats. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> really. I saw, that one. I saw that one pop up on the show schedule today, and I'm like, all right, here we go. We'll keep it, we'll keep it civil. We got most <laughs> of it out. And then finally, we'll talk about the White Sox offense. They are 6-3. and three. They are the number one team in the AL Central right now by uh, record. But I had people in my uh, mentions yesterday talking about how this is just like last year already and how this offense is just like last year. And I'm like, oh, this is a fun nine games, huh? Last year, <laughs> last year wasn't this start, the start wasn't this good. So we'll talk about the White Sox offense and why, you know, where they're at right now, how, how we see them grading out after the first uh, three series. I think they've graded out, you know, pretty well so far, but we'll look into some of the numbers. We got some stat cast numbers for you. So we're excited to talk to you all about uh, you know White Sox baseball, but we're going to take a little bit of a detour. And what's up, Steve-O? How you doing? I don't think I've ever seen Steve-O's last name. Is that, that's not a last name, right? That's his last name. There are no vowels There's in no it. There's no vowels? He didn't want to. Oh. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Um, no, no, that's his actual last name. I don't know, you know, that's what he was given, I believe. I thought he took the vowels out for, no. you know, solidarity with CHGO. <laughs> oh, that's it, yeah. So Did it's he? just Steve-O, but CHGO-ified. So what's name. up, Steve-O? Uh, good to see you. Anyways, uh, today we're going to be going back to the icebreaker bit that we started uh, when this whole show kicked off back on March 4th, and we are now going to do, in honor of the White Sox playing in Cleveland, our top four albums of all time. Now, the game was canceled, but we're still going to do the bit. Uh, So we're going to go personal album rankings. This is not what we think is, like, the greatest albums of all time. If you're going to listen to four albums of all time. I I mean, it's what I think are the four greatest of all time. All right, so we're going by different rules. Uh, Vinny's (laughs) going to give you the four albums you need to listen to. I'm going to give you the four albums that I think are my personal favorite. Herb, how are you attacking this one? I'm going to be giving you my favorite four albums of all time. And I know, Vinny, you you like these albums, too. So oh, absolutely. Like, you know, yeah, I, yeah, no. I, listen. Probably has them all in vinyl. Uh, no, I have none of them on Whoa, vinyl. Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow. Even yeah. the one we're talking about today? Even the one we're talking about today. Okay, well, I mean, when, when's your birthday? Maybe we'll, we'll hook something up. I got I probably got like a couple a couple two-tree uh, extra copies of that one. <laughs> Kicking around. around. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about our top four favorite albums, or Vinny's, uh, the, the four albums you need to know. And we're going to go uh, four to one. So tomorrow we'll do number three. Uh, on uh, Thursday, Wednesday we'll do number uh, two. And then on Thursday we'll do number one. So we'll take you four to one. We'll start off today. Herb, you want to lead us in, in this icebreaker? What's your fourth album of all time? As we see on the screen, 
Asia by Steely Dan. I mean, just a quality, quality album. As a person who was born slightly after this album was re- being recorded and released, it took almost like six months for this album because the people in Steely Dan, Walter and Donald, are 100% perfectionists. They need things to be done exactly the way they want it to be done. And they only had three singles off of this. I think it was Peg and um, Josie. And I'm trying to uh, Deacon Blues were the three singles released, but the two songs that I like the most on the off the album are the title track Asia, and of course Black Cow. Black Cow. If you don't know the song, if you're a hip hop head, you will understand it's Deja Vu by Lord Tariq and Peter Guns. That song, that beat, is the beat for Black Cow. It's an undefeated album. Only seven tracks, but it goes throughout perfectly. And some say it's like the explosion of yacht rock and you know some people would get mad at that you know mike mcdonald's on peg mm-hmm. so if you heard peg you heard mike mcdonald's voice doing the doing the hook and it's just a cool album just press play let the albums go i just let it go from one to seven i don't do the shuffle just let it breathe and just sit back and enjoy whatever beverage or edible or tweed you're <laughs> you're enjoying because that is the type of vibe i'm at when i'm listening to some asia Absolutely, and uh, so you mentioned a couple. What's the, what's the one that you have to say is like your favorite song off that album? It's Black Cow by okay. far. Like it's not a. It's the first album, uh, first song on the track, and it is just pure. Like uh, it's talking about drug culture, him in a relationship he's having with a woman that he's not really uh, feeling. She's not feeling him, and then there's a nice like middle part of just instrumentation. These are musicians at heart who uh, studied jazz, especially Donald uh, Fagan. He studied jazz as a kid, especially like Charlie Parker. So he wanted to get more into musicians just allowing them to breathe and play, but also play on key and play the way he wants them to be played. Yeah, and you said Yacht Rock. You referred to it as easy listening. Uh, I mean, which are we? do we like the term Yacht Rock? I, I don't mind a lot of uh, songs that fall into that category, okay. like Hall and Oates. They're kind of they're kind of uh, there. I like Loggins and Messina. They're kind of in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I uh, I can't say I'm a huge fan of Asia. Um, <laughs> there are some Steely Dan songs that I absolutely love, but uh, whenever like Mike whenever Michael McDonald gets involved really in anything, <laughs> oh, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, I'm sorry. As, oh. as as great as the Doobie Brothers were before he came rolling along and started taking it to the streets, he, <laughs> he took him he took him off the map in my in my opinion. And they made their best song ever. <laughs> what a fool believes, friends. What a fool. But Lawrence had an absolutely visceral reaction. Lawrence is killing me over that. here. Lawrence off screen. One of our producers is. <laughs> getting now up and, and now gonna mike mcdonald is the voice of our generation thank you <laughs> the songbird of your thank generation you. yeah, that's right thank you <laughs> thank you lawrence um yeah I, I i yacht rock is always an odd i've never been on a yacht and i enjoy a lot of yacht rock so i just feel like it's classist it's fine. in a way you it's know kind of yeah. and i it's think not the, it's not a, it's not the greatest thing that's ever been done but it's fine no and it's kind of derisive like term some people use it like oh yacht rock Ugh. right you know type of thing but people who lean into it and who love it, it's like, yeah, Yacht Rock. If you bring it up, especially because YouTube did a whole like series of you of Yacht Rock, but making kind of fun of it. Um, it's that's one of my favorite things when they make fun of it. Kind of uh, the first episode is how they made What a Fool Believes, which references Hall and Oates as kind of the bullies, and Michael McDonald is the like the hero, and he left Jim Messina just in the alley by himself. Well, I'm not sorry. Kenny Loggins is the left uh, Jim Messina in the alley by himself. You got to go and check it out. Yacht Rock on YouTube. Right. Jim Messina gets no love, man. I don't he know. Doesn't. He was in Buffalo Springfield. Ooh. He was in Poco. Then he was in uh, Loggins and Messina. I just know Loggins. Pretty good band. Like, I know Loggins of, of Loggins yeah. and Messina. Yeah. I don't know Messina. Uh, you got to give Messina some love. Yeah. Well, I, 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 they gave uh, Alabama uh, some love. They call them the Crimson Tide. Uh, but you can call me Deacon Blues. Deacon Blues. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. probably my favorite song off that album. Uh, Vinny, you got an album that's near and dear to my heart at uh, number four. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, you guys are coming at me. I'll tell you this. This is if, if my mom is watching, she I am the least favorite of her categories so far. You guys <laughs> picked two of my mom's favorite albums yes. of all time. I'm going to go ahead and pick one of my dad's favorite albums of all time. This one is hanging up in their basement uh, on the wall, of course. Uh, the Boss. I mean, come on. What's I mean, listen, it's it's we're going to talk uh, later in the week about some some picks of mine. 
that I think are like your dictionary definitions of rock and roll. You know, you put it, you, aliens come down from another planet. They want to know what rock and roll is. Put those albums on. Boom. They, they know. Springsteen, though, this, this album, especially Born to Run, it is, it is what rock and roll can mean to everybody, I think. You've got, you got the happy. You got the sad. You got every emotion in between there. These songs, they're anthemic, most of them. Speaking overhead. Uh, you know. Oh, am I getting means. a little too? Am I getting uh, a little too I esoteric can, for you here? I can but. hear you. I can get the meaning by what you're saying. It's all good. Yeah, I mean Bruce Springsteen. The songs he sung about, he said he never lived any of the actual. Experience. Of course, he's, not. he's a liar. It but it's he's all a, about a vibe. He's a liar, <laughs> but it's all about vibe, and that's exactly it. He's he's, like, he's my favorite songwriter of all time. Uh, I was listening to this one in the car on the way in. Uh, oh my god, I almost shredded my vocal cords during during Thunder Road. Makes sense. And guys, come on, Clarence Clemens on the saxophone. You can't, the, yeah. The, the most important super, sky point we've ever had Super sky point for, for, for the big man. Oh, uh, man. But, yeah, this is, this is just tremendous. From Thunder Road, title track, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, Backstreet, She's the One, Jungle Land. Oh. It's just I, like I, I have one observation was. really quick. Vinny, yes. this is like, you know, I may be way off here. I feel like you're shredding your vocal cords not by singing the words, but by singing the riffs. Mm. Absolutely. I've I've witnessed this a couple of times, but that's really what I've picked up on. You're you're really getting into the riffs, and it's it's unique. You got and you got to you got to sing that uh, that uh, saxophone solo on Jungle Land all the way through. I whistle it. Um, and, oh no! Uh, you got to go. You got to go air sax. You got to <laughs> sling that thing around the side and just yeah, go nuts. In uh, back streets, I think that's one I could hum to. Just that 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 riff right there, mm-hmm. that opening, mm-hmm. like that is something like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's like nothing gets me more amped than hearing back streets. And I'll tell you this: next time you listen to it, listen to to the guitar. Listen to Bruce's guitar. It's surf rock. It is a surf rock guitar, which I think is uh, it's very underappreciated on that album. It's very good. One of my favorite things uh, when he was been doing this Broadway thing was uh, he was talking about all the band members he used to have, and like he had this one drummer drummer who just couldn't play uh, what's the classic surf drum song? Uh, uh, Wipeout. Yeah, he yeah. Could, yeah, the drummer couldn't play Wipeout. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can play everything else. The guy can play everything else. <laughs> he just can't play Wipeout. Um, and it's like <laughs> that's he refused to play Wipeout. Anybody knows how to play Wipeout. <laughs> he, he just couldn't. No, the guy just couldn't. It's pretty could, simple. The guy was a great drummer. He just didn't know how to do Wipeout. Wow. Uh, but I the one thing. I love about both of your albums is you seven songs for Steely Dan, eight songs for Bruce. All of them are perfect. Uh, what's your favorite run of songs? Oh, what's what's one's not perfect? Meeting across the river. Okay, not my favorite. It's slow. Not my favorite. Uh, but I mean, it's got to be it's got to be the start. The one two punch of Thunder Road and Tenth Avenue Freeze Out is uh, phenomenal. And right I think there. that is very important in albums too. Song where the songs are in the listing because mm-hmm. when we were kids. Skipping was not a thing. You know, you had either the album or you had a cassette tape, and you're not fast-forwarding through. I mean, you are on some of these things, but sometimes if you're going to buy a cassette with a full album on it, you want to listen to the full thing. So if you're putting them and sequencing them right, back in my day, they used to put, like, like little interludes in between uh, albums. Those are perfect. And so this seven-song album... That's the only reason why it's seven songs, because Donald's a, a maniac. He's like, if we had 12, it'd be like another year for them to release uh, Asia. But yeah, putting those albums exactly with the song tracks, exactly where they need to be in the album, I think is make what makes a great album. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Born to Run so great, is just the, the track after track after track and kind of the picture that he paints. They're all epics. Uh, they too. are all epics. They're all epics, which is very exciting. And kind of like meeting across the river is a little bit of an interlude. Like, she's the one is this big, bombastic love piece oh, of Jungle with Land. With the Bo Diddley beat in yes. there, too. Mm. And Jungle Land is this massive, massive epic, and, and then you have meeting across the river uh, in the middle. Uh, so it is a little bit of a slowdown, and it is the least listened song uh, on Spotify off that album, too, for good reason. <laughs> Nobody's really tuning in for meeting across the river. Uh, the final one we're going to talk about is Tusk, 1978 from Fleetwood Mac. That's my number four album of all time. Uh, you might know Rumors. You might know Tango in the Night. Hell, you might know might you know Tango in the Night? I love Tango in the Night. I don't know either of those two. Tango in the Night, they're where's 1980. The, where's the self-titled here? Let's go. Well, there's also Fleetwood yeah, Mac, the exactly. self-titled album. Uh, but I'm going to go with Tusk. Tusk is known for being an absolute <laughs> train wreck of an album. At the time it came out, it was the most expensive album to make. Yeah. And we talk about very short, succinct albums from 75 and 77. And this is a mess of an album. 20 songs on this album from Fleetwood Mac. And does anyone That's... know more than one of them? No, you shouldn't know <laughs> Any of them. If you know any maybe of them, one it's song, maybe. Well, my Tusk. Tusk. 
Yeah, I've literally talks. never heard that's that. That's the song. one with the marching band in it. Yeah, that's the one yeah. with the USC marching yeah. band in it. And there's a great performance nope. on YouTube of uh, Lindsey Buckingham uh, solo performing at USC. And uh, I think Kevin uh, was talking about how he's his buddy was at a Fleetwood Mac cover band, and they were they end with Tusk, and then a local marching band came out. And at this one, he's at USC, so they bring out the USC marching band. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, you don't know any of these songs, but that's the thing. Everyone hated this album because it wasn't rumors, but it. Was was so good all of these songs are like b grades <laughs> it's tony Larusa listens to tusk asia and born to run he's got asia up. He, <laughs> he wants to listen to it. he wants to groove i which one do you think tony is gonna like i think Ooh. tony's a, a bruce guy bruce probably no well he's a learned guy he, at that time he probably was at florida state for a little uh juris doctorate so smoking a little dube yeah <laughs> asia 100 percent I don't even know if he knows what Tusk is. I don't know what Tusk I is. I mean, very famous. Is it? Just not very good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tusk, Tusk isn't good. But it's, it's like every song's a B, right? Like, so Landslide is like the epic Stevie Nicks song. Yeah. But Sarah is very comparable. She has a great run starting at three minutes of just like, Stevie Nicks power and then she comes back at like 450 again with just absolute power and the first six songs are all just Lindsey Buckingham and Christine McVie who nobody likes but the bass on all six of those songs are insane and then the song Tusk uh, which is the 19th song which makes no sense to me they should have ended on Tusk there I don't know why they end with never forget but they do uh, Tusk is just this nutty song i don't know how to describe the album none of it's good but it all is great and wow. it's my number four album of all number time. number four album of all time is it's Tusk. The, the tell me lies song on that one no, no. Uh, that's tango in the night yeah, yeah you know that yeah. one that's yeah. uh, little lies off tango in the night yeah. um and then you you might know everywhere that was off tango in the night yeah i mean right. i'm saying courtney loves her some delicious fleetwood mac I like Fleetwood Mac when they're not with Stevie Nicks. Really? Pre. Yeah. Yes. Pre-Stevie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Or, Peter or, Green's Fleetwood or, Mac. A little blues action. Or there, yeah. when Christine McVie sings the song. Like, yeah, live. Then you're going to love Tusk. Okay. You Tusk prefer is Christine heavy. McVie to Stevie Nicks. I do. I, I know also, that's a, a... You do? Yes. Nice. Christine McVie is like... The, like, cog. The cog in the wheel of Fleetwood Mac. Guys. They had guys. six They're not kicking Christine McVie out. Guys. They're kicking, they're kicking Lindsay out. No, not Lindsay Buckingham. They're kicking. They kick, no, they kick Lindsay. I up. know, but I'm saying they're not. I thought we were doing Stevie Nicks versus Christine McVie. Oh no, but I'm just saying, okay. like Christine McVie, like she isn't one of the big two. It's it's Lindsay and Stevie Nicks, but they're that's a cog in the that's that's the the thing that makes them all go. That's the that's the TA of Fleetwood Mac is Christine Guys, McVie. There she is, of course. Guys, I don't know. Courtney already already commenting. <laughs> I don't know. She's shaking her head about your, your terrible on. choice. Stevie's, Stevie's one of the all-timers, and you're giving me Christine McVie? <laughs> picking Christine McVie over Stevie Nicks? Hey, I'm just oh, saying, boy. like, you know, mm. like, Clarence is one of the best of all time. Bruce is one of the best of all times. Just sometimes. And you're going with Max Weinberg? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Stevie. I'm going with Stevie Van Zet. Little Stevie has some great solo stuff. Uh, yeah, so those are our number four albums of all time. Uh, our three, two, and ones are going to be just as weird. Uh, I have a feeling. Uh, there will be more Bruce Springsteen, by the way. That's a tease. And I bet you there'll be some Rolling yeah. Stones. And uh, Herb, you want to tease a band? I mean, the most popular singer of all time will be on this. Jamiroquai? There won't be on there. Oh. They have a lot of, they have a great uh, catalog, but no great album. Because they did didgeridoo stuff early. It was <laughs> dumb. It was really dumb. I'm and in between there, they would mix in a virtual insanity, we're too young to die, and some good hits like that. Little all L. right. Little L. Little L's a great one. But they don't have like a, just a classic album with like all those songs on there. And Luis Roberts Buttcheek says, I'm with Vinny on this one. Y'all are crazy. So, you know, Luis Roberts Buttcheeks agree with you. So great that's how, I mean, everybody, you know, you're not crazy. <laughs> no, my take on Stevie Nicks is I know is a hot, the hottest of hot takes. I just don't like her. I just don't like her singing. I just don't like anything. Uh, like I, when she was singing Silver Springs to Lindsey Buckingham with like fire in her eyes. Courtney and I watch this all the time because she loves that song when it's done live. But she's looking at Lindsey Buckingham like he did something wrong. It's a relationship just didn't work out. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And, and they had and they made like four songs off of that breakup. They, they, they made albums off of that breakup. Yeah. I mean, I think they're still Ones making that are albums. much better than Tusk at that matter. <laughs> for that matter. And, and here's the thing. I mean, Lindsey Buckingham, a, a drag. I mean, 
Stevie Nicks should have been able to soar. And she wrote one of the best songs of all time, Wild Heart, off of her uh, first solo album. And the riff was originally supposed to be Hoyne. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Second here. solo album, I believe. It, it was yeah. the second solo yeah. album? Okay, thank First you. one's the one with the amazing Tom Petty song on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Stop Dragging My Heart Around? Yeah, that one's fantastic, where she wanted to be a heartbreaker, and then Lindsay wouldn't let her. Uh, but on Mirage, there's uh, Can't Go Back. Perfect. So Sivo. <laughs> Sean has a Danzig shirt on. Any opinion should not be seen as legitimate. You've heard Mother, right? Mother's a great song. And also the Misfits are like one of the most influential punk bands of all time. But also Mother's a great song. Uh, and Mirage, too. It has Can't Go Back on it. That was the original backing track to Wildheart. There's a video of her singing it with the Can't Go Back tracking, it's insane. Like she's just belting this out while getting her makeup done. There's a lot of new videos out there that make you love Stevie Nicks. That's one of them. I bet you didn't think when you turned on the CHGO White Sox podcast today that you were going to be hearing about a bunch of Fleetwood Mac songs that you've never heard of. One of the most famous bands of all time. We're solely discussing songs of theirs that no one has ever heard. Of. Ever. <laughs> Seven Wonders is great. Uh, Big Love. I know PZ mentioned that uh, Lindsey Buckingham love his guitar style. Big Love. Fantastic. We'll get off the Fleetwood Mac. The best way to support CHGO <laughs> is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free t-shirt from the CHGO Locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. PointsBet is your home for live in-play betting, and it just got even better. Introducing PointsBet's newest feature, the live NBA same-game parlay. For the first time ever, you can build the perfect live NBA same-game parlay only with PointsBet. Combine your favorite bets anytime during the game, and if you want more, you can also boost your live same-game parlays. That's my favorite feature of the PointsBet app. You can watch live, parlay live, and boost live with PointsBet. You get one boost a day. Make sure you use it wisely with your live NBA same-game parlays. Online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. So what are you waiting for once the game starts? Don't just bet. Live your bet life with points bet. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. And want to mention our good friends over at Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft Coffee, CBD coffee is a game changer and has helped thousands of people to improve their overall wellness and quality of life. Strava delivers delicious, delicious, fresh roasted, specialty coffee infused with organic broad spectrum CBD. CBD from help doesn't make you high or hungry, but it does offer real benefits that can help you. It helps me when I'm going to bed at night. I take some CBD coffee. I like the warmness of the coffee itself, but then the CBD helps me relax very, very well. It helps me get a very good deep, deep sleep. And uh, sometimes I have some uh, restless leg syndrome. The CBD helps mellow my body out, tell it, you know, it's time to go to bed. So <laughs> I like CBD at night. Maybe you like it in the morning. Go try it out. And the best part, too, Strava is all about quality. Everything is small batch, fresh and strip, shipped straight to your door. Strava also offers... Con concentrated full-spectrum CBD tinctures for those looking for a more traditional CBD format with a power entre powerful entourage effects of benefits. CHGO listeners can save 25% off their entire purchase when they use the code CHGO25. That's 25% off your entire order at StravaCraftCoffee.com when you use code CHGO25 at checkout. Discount coupon valid on non-subscription purchases only, one use per customer. And if you already love Strava, subscribe and save with Strava Craft Coffee Club. With Strava, you're in control save on your favorite coffees and have them automatically delivered to your home or office on your preferred schedule. Again, StravaCraftCoffee.com. And if you want to save 25%, use code CHGO25 at checkout. All right, guys, let's go into some work Vinny did over the weekend. You were at the game, uh, you know, you were at the Saturday and Sunday game, but you were also talking around uh, after the game, talking to some some people in the dugout. What was uh, the 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 story uh how did this story come along and, and why don't you explain the piece that is free to everybody at allchgo.com yeah i encourage everybody to go check it out it's it's a long one but it's a it's a it's one i think uh people will appreciate i think so many fans watch the game and they they see what happens on the field and they don't really know what's going on off the field and i think that there's there's a great story to be told and, and great importance to be placed on you know we've seen this rebuild 
and you and you look at the guys that are here now, the talent they went out and, and they went out and got, Rick Hahn brought in and, and they developed over the course of several seasons. And you can look at it and you can look at the back of the baseball card or the baseball reference page and go, that's good. Good job. Look at, right. look at that guy. He can produce. Um, but along with that was creating what was going on behind the scenes and the, the culture in the clubhouse guys. We've talked about Tim Anderson's impact, obviously so often on this show. Um, the culture in the clubhouse is really just as important as the guys that they put on the field and in the batter's box and the numbers that go on the screen. Um, and I think everybody thought that that was going to crumble when Tony La Russa was hired and to his credit, it, it hasn't. And it's perhaps only gotten stronger because he's, you know, added his flavor to it and he's allowed the guys to do what they've done. And and we saw last year, I think, uh, through all those injuries, the, the White Sox didn't stop winning. And uh, I think you can credit everybody involved with this team, but but Tony deserves some credit too. And then here we are in week one or week two of the 2022 season, and everybody's hurt again, and they've got the best record in the division, and they're they're six and three. Uh, it, it's, it's almost a mirror image. And um, I talked to Kyle Crick on opening day in Detroit, and I asked him, you know, he's a newcomer. I asked him why, you know, what, what made him excited about joining the organization. And he brought up Tony La Russa. And I said, what do you like about Tony La Russa? What's, what's he like? What's it like playing for him? And Kyle Crick said that Tony La Russa is mystical. <laughs> and I was like, oh, haven't heard that one before. <laughs> so, And I love when you take it to Tony. And Tony's like, is that an insult? Why, well, so Tony, <laughs> Tony was literally the last person I talked to for this story. So I, I, I talked to, to Kyle about it and I, I, you know, held on to that quote for a bit. And over the last couple of days, I've been asking people, you know, what, what is, what's it been like playing for Tony through these injuries? How does he kind of frame this whole thing? And got a lot of good quotes on, on the culture and stuff like that. But yeah, the last person I asked about it was Tony. And I go, hey, Kyle said you were mystical. You ever heard that one before? Like, you've been doing this for a long time. You've probably been called a lot of things. Have you ever been called mystical before? And he didn't really know what, <laughs> what Kyle was trying to say. I'm not sure Kyle knew what he was trying to say, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, he, he said uh, mystical. Is that like a synonym for jerk or something like that? So he was uh, trying to grab a definition on it more than anything. And uh, hopefully, hopefully he... Uh, Got to see the story today and saw that, it, indeed, it was a compliment. Yeah, it's a great story, and it's free to everybody. Uh, usually, if you're a member, you can only read our stuff at allchgo.com. But go read Vinny's article. It's great work, a lot of great quotes in there, and a lot of exclusive quotes as well. And I thought the mystical you know, definition, or at least the, the mystical uh, defining of Tony La Russa made sense. I, I could see the mystical buy-in here. Do you think Tony's mystical, Herb? Yeah, he shakes it fast, and he watches himself. No one? Okay. I don't get that. I hate all you guys. I love you. Um, mystical. This is the rapper. Shake. Oh, Shake your ass. Okay. The headline, if you notice, the headline <laughs> was, was, a, was a reference to a Van Morrison song, so yeah. that's the kind of audience I, you're playing yeah. for. I don't know if you saw our number four <laughs> albums. Uh, mine was Tusk. Okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just a, a general known album. Uh, all right. <laughs> no, whatever. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, as Vinny said, I was one of those skeptical people where when Tony came in, I was like, they have built a great culture here. Timmy's leading it. Abreu's there, Chilito's there. The last thing I want is guys stand up for the anthem, Colin Kaepernick guy to come in and say, no, I'm a Hall of Famer. You do it this way, that way, or that way. And my way or the highway. And it seems, reading Vinny's article and subsequent things uh, that, I mean, things that happened before Vinny's article, and I think also before I get to that, like being back in the clubhouse leads to stories and pieces like this, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we were able last year to, you know, grab guys on the field and, and get one-on-one -on -one interviews and stuff like that. But, you know, I think there's a difference between when you're in there and you're able to just kind of float around and, you know, you can ask one or two questions at a time. It doesn't have to be a formal sit-down, hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time to talk about everything that's going on with you and the team right now? And, you know, it's more of a, hey, I see your, you know, looking on your phone. Can I just ask you this real quick about Tony? And, you know, it's more casual and, and it allows for maybe a little bit more uh, easygoing kind of thing. And you get, you get stuff like this with, which is fun sometimes. What was your favorite reaction when someone asked you like, Hey, you know, what do you think Tony LaRusse is mystical or what was like the best, you know, <laughs> quip you got? Well, I, I'll say this, uh, talking to Tony, I think was the best. Cause it was okay. like, I, I, I could, I, if you would have told me Tony LaRusse and his, you know, decades of managing his Hall of Fame career. He's probably been described as just about everything by the host of players that have played for him. Uh, and when I heard this, I'm like, you know what? This might be a first. So, uh, And it turns out it kind of was, so that was fun. Yeah. yeah. And so reading Vinny's article, you see that 
he's allowed the players to continue being themselves. Allowed everybody just to say, okay, show up at this time. And 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 Vinny's piece is like, just add a little spices. Hey, guys, through my career, I got this, that, and the other. How about do this maybe? You know, give him a little advice if it's needed. But he's not in there flipping over tables after a, a tough loss and saying, hey, this is my way or the highway. You know, many White Sox fans thought he was going to come in and and still like a culture, like the Cardinal way that was down there in St. Louis. But no, it seems like the people are still loose doing their jobs. And whatever I say about managers not mattering the clubhouse, I think it matters a lot. And all the article, all the quotes from the article, positive, very positive. And I've really never, except for the, the whole Yermin thing, which is still, he never really said anything bad about Tony himself. There's not been a word out of that clubhouse from somebody who sourced or who actually wants to put his name on paper that says that Tony's doing anything bad to the clubhouse. Well, and I'll say this too. There were all those questions when he was hired, heck before he was hired, when he was just rumored to be, you know, considered mm-hmm. and everybody went, Tony LaRusso, what? And, and uh, they brought up all the points that you were talking about. And Tony, when he was hired, the first thing he said to us was, yeah, those are those are valid questions, and I'm going to prove them wrong. You know what I mean? The whole the whole thing that he said the entire time was, I have to go earn these players' respect. It's not, I'm not showing up and being like, look at my jewelry, you do what I say. It was, you know, he's going to go in there, and, and he knew that they had been building something. He wasn't, you know, he didn't think, oh, I'm, I'm the guy that's going to turn this around. Like, he had been seeing it, and, I, and maybe that relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, he had more of a, uh, a better understanding of what was going on than maybe we assumed that he would have. But uh, it's turned out from a culture standpoint, from a clubhouse standpoint, uh, to be a really good marriage. And even Tim Anderson, who said that he was, you know, he didn't buy into this thing right when it first happened, Every time you talk to him about Tony LaRusso, he describes him as the right guy for the job. So um, I don't think anybody can have any complaints at least this point, at this point, the way that they did when the hire was made, which is now what a year and a half ago. Yeah, so. I was one of those people. I had complaints, and I, there's one of my favorite photos that uh, on Twitter of uh, that Duck Sensual made uh, my my pal Michael on Twitter uh, of do it for him, the old uh, Simpsons thing where Homer <laughs> Homer puts I forget what the actual thing says, but uh, he he patches up this piece on the wall, and it's, you know he says do it for her, but instead do it for her, his daughter Maggie. Uh, it's do it for him, Ricky Renteria, uh, <laughs> and I miss Ricky. And Ricky was always you know a, a fun, very jovial guy uh, in the White Sox clubhouse, but there is definitely a difference between him and Tony La Russa. Ricky felt like, you know, he was trying to prove himself. It felt like, you know, there was a lot of energy. He wanted the, the, the clubhouse to be excited about them playing baseball. And I think that was part of, you know, the era that they were in as well. Rebuilding, they were much more younger. They were just, had a lot more to prove. Where Tony does bring, it feels like a stoic ness to to the to the clubhouse but then also a way to set an example it feels like this guy's been doing this for 76 years uh, of his life he knows how to go through a baseball season and it really feels like he is leading by example he's letting guys be themselves but he's also being himself in a way too setting that winning mentality as he said uh, the quote that we put out on uh, twitter today it's not about today or it's about today it's not about the past it's about today it's about 2022 yeah, and I mean, listen, when you talk about the difference between those two guys, I know I've seen a lot of opinions, you know, uh, especially along the lines of Herb, what you always say, which is the manager maybe makes a lot smaller of a difference than, than it seems sometimes, uh, is that Ricky Renneria was a baseball coach. Uh, and, and that's not say, not to say that he couldn't have turned into what Tony La Russa is, which is a World Series winning manager. But Ricky Renneria was really good at player development, at, at bringing guys along, at getting them to to better their, their game. Tony La Russa was hired because he's proven he's really good at winning the World Series. And again, Ricky Renneria did not have an opportunity to reach that level. He very well could have, but the, the White Sox wanted to win the World Series tomorrow. You know what I mean? And, and so Tony La Russa was brought in because guess what? He's done this before. He's done it multiple times. He's done it very well. He's done it to a Hall of Fame caliber. And that's why, that's why the change was made. And, and in the end, the, if, if that's the only reason that that change was made, that that transition was made, it turned out maybe better than you thought it could have because all those questions that, Tony, that came along with Tony LaRusso have been answered in a positive manner. Well, and I wonder, too, going back to some of the questions that happened before the hiring and after the hiring, I, I do wonder if this was just 
a perfect marriage because not only did Jerry Reinsdorf want his guy, Tony La Russa, uh, his longtime friend and former manager getting fired by Hawk Harrelson, yes, uh, you know, in, in a very weird way. And then Tony going on to have the success he did in Oakland and St. Louis, like clearly Jerry wants to win another title. Every owner does. Uh, but now being in a situation where you have this promising of a team and a manager who feels probably lost. I mean, this was a guy who was coaching from 1978 to 2011. And then even though he was still around baseball, it still feels the fact that he's coming back to this job. This is what he's always wanted to do is be a manager. He probably feels so comfortable. And I, I understand that people are really upset at the, the crime that he committed before he was hired as the, a White Sox uh, manager. And I understand that. But also it feels like, you know, He's paid off the debt. I mean, I don't really want to hang that over him too often. And something, too, it's probably, you know, you make a mistake like that. Well, what's a way for me to not make that mistake? Or, or what's a way for me to kind of get back to the old me? Going back into the dugout probably helped him that. Like, I don't know if Tony La Russa would have gone to 29 other teams. Like, this might have been the perfect marriage at the perfect time for somebody. And the White Sox, I don't know if they're lucky to have him, but it is definitely a presence that I, I like to see right now in, in the White Sox clubhouse. And to speak to what you just said, I think for a manager, anybody in baseball or any sport, the thing that everybody says, I don't miss the games necessarily. I miss the people. I miss the camaraderie in the clubhouse. Like as a, you know, assistant to the general manager, whatever he was with the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks mm -hmm. and the Angels, he doesn't get to go down in the clubhouse every day. Like, if he went down the clubhouse all, every, all the time, he would, there would be some words to be said. Because that manager's like, yeah, I like you, Tony, but, you know, I'm the manager here. And your presence might usurp my presence here. So he probably didn't feel the same. Like, yeah, he's at the ballpark every day, but he's not having his hands in everything. Right. He hated not it. Not talking to people. Yeah, he hated you know? it. He, has, he described it as torture. Yeah. He, he, and you say... You bring up the guys, oh, I don't miss the games, I, I miss the people. I'm not saying Tony didn't miss the people, but he missed the games. He didn't like being in the dugout, or he didn't like not being in the dugout. Right. He, he, I mean, listen, it's a guy, and, and this was brought up, you know, when I talked to Jake Berger the other day, you know, Jake said this, and I've told you guys this, but Jake brought it up unprompted, which is, yes, Tony, how he's doing every day, and he says, depends on the score. Right. You know, I mean, this guy, he, he, he lives to win baseball games, and when he doesn't win baseball games, he's not happy. Uh, and listen, you could, uh, you could view that as an, in a number of different ways. Sometimes, you know, you lose a baseball game, does you can still be happy. You know yeah, what I mean? You, can, you have a lot, you have a lot going on, but, uh, you know, he's a guy who fans should appreciate as being completely invested in what's going on with their favorite team. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like you, you Crick gives you the great quote of uh, mysticism about him or uh, a mystical presence about Tony La Russa, but like even talking about like just the day to day stuff, like everything we did in camp has a purpose for us to get better. And if you're taking it seriously, you will get better. That was something he stressed. Like he, he wants this whole marathon. He wants that spring training to the end of the year. I worried last year about his stamina and if he could get through a season, um, especially after May. It just looked like he was tired. It looked like, you know, there was mistakes being made. I looked to the Red Series. I looked to the Yankee Series. Uh, but the more and more we got into the season, the more and more we saw it, uh, the more and more, I, you know, the injuries he, he handled extremely well. Um, I thought he did a great job uh, of uh, balancing Sheets and Vaughn later in the season and then also making sure that Rodon was healthy enough to at least make it to the postseason. I thought that was a win for the Sox. So overall, um, you know, Tony's first year it had its up it's had its downs but I do think that the culture is what really shined in, in that piece that you, that you had a lot of great pieces and uh, Bummer even described them as just being very calm and there's just a you know he know you know what you have to do today and that's go out and win yeah and listen Tony is is the subject of the story you know for all intents and purposes but part of the things that he, part of the thing that he said to me was Listen, it's the players. I mean, they, they're the ones that go out there and, and play. And, and the coaches have jobs to do. The manager has a job to do, obviously. But the thing he said to me yesterday was, none of the coaching staff should ever be the face of the franchise. This is the players. And, and he, he described the game as players on one team versus players on another team for the fans to watch. And that equation does not include a manager or, or, or the coaching staff, even though those guys are very important behind the scenes. So the culture that's been built – uh, is completely a team effort, and I and I brought up some of the things in there that we've heard from uh, a number of number of players over the years. 
Yasmani Grandal grabbing a guy like Jake Berger and taking him in to watch video, mm-hmm. you know, to, to talk about his batting stance. Kendall Graveman has been grabbing – I mean, he's been on the team for a handful of months. He's been grabbing young pitchers and, and taking them into the film room. Liam Hendricks described him to me the other day as kind of like – you know, the yin to his yang almost where Liam is a guy who just goes out there and lets it rip and everything's you see you see the entire process on the mound. Graveman is a lot more cerebral and gets prepared a little bit, uh, you know, to a, to a different degree. And, and Liam said that it's great for other guys in that bullpen to have both of those examples to look to. Uh, so there's a lot going on that isn't just Tony LaRusso. Tony compared Graveman's role to the kind of role that Lance Lynn had last year. And we heard just the other day that, you know, uh, from Michael Kopech that Lance Lynn is still in the dugout helping these guys in the middle of the games and stuff like that. So it is very much a team effort. Ricky Renneria deserves a lot of the credit for this culture uh, being created and, and for letting the players grow in the way that they did. Rick Hahn and the front office deserve a lot of credit for putting the right guys in place right. to make sure a culture like this could flourish. Tony La Russa deserves credit for letting it thrive the way that it currently is. So uh, you want to know why the White Sox are having success. It's not just because, oh, those guys that are going up there to bat can hit a home, can hit a baseball really far. You know, it, there's a lot that goes into it, and I think fans can appreciate kind of the behind-the-scenes look at it, too. Yeah, and it would be interesting, too, to see if, uh, you know, other players share the same sentiment that uh, Crick has about uh, Tony having these drills to, uh, you know, get you, get you better and, and help you improve. Um, it really does feel like, you know, Renteria helped – build that culture. Tony's obviously letting it thrive, but the most important thing, you know, right now is making sure that this is a World Series caliber team. And uh, if they're able to look like that, you know, come, you know, July, I think I'll be feeling really good about this team. Obviously, they're World World Series caliber right now. They have one of the best uh, records in baseball, but also this is only nine games into the season. What do they look like by July, especially when they are more healthy, when they have Yohan Moncada back, AJ Pollock, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn. Um, And like you said, you know, Tony got them to six and three without all of those players. And I think I'm probably forgetting a couple too. Garrett Crochet. Yoan Moncada, did you mention him? I mentioned, yeah, Yoan, Yoan, Pollock, Gilito, Lynn, Crochet. Ryan Burr. Ryan Burr. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Those are all the guys. Even though he's not with the team. Yeah, Evan Marshall, (laughs) even though he's not on the roster anymore. But uh, yeah, very, very interesting. And uh, Mailman Jack asking what happened to the cactus. The cactus is in our uh, boss's Jake's office, and he does not want me to have it uh, because spring training's over. Um, but whatever. You we'll know. bring it back if the White Sox play the D-backs this year. They do. They do. Yes, whenever, here, here, but, but still. Whenever they go out west or whenever a team <laughs> out west comes here, we'll bring back the cactus. Uh, and thank you guys for hanging out in the chat right now. Uh, I know there was one question about uh, Andrew Vaughn and when he will get uh, you know put back in the starting lineup. That's what we'll talk about right now. After we tell you the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. And in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sportsbook easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And our next partner has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking AG1s not only because I got this full-time job and I wanted to start waking up with a nice routine, getting myself full of vitamins. I also apparently need B6. Um, I, I talked to my doctor recently. He said I need more B6. So one of the 75 vitamins included in AG1s is B6. So I've already been taking it, but I need to take more. So, hey, AG1's helping me get those important, important vitamins to start my day off right. You might be asking, what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, one of those vitamins being vitamin B6. To help you start your day right, this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the important things, and the taste is good. It's a very mild, tropically taste, and you get all of those important vitamins in your water, about 8 to 12 ounces of water. You put one scoop in, and you're getting those 75 important vitamins. And AG1 says over 7,000, I was going to say 70, that would be nice, but 7,000 is still a lot. 7,000 five-star reviews, and it will go with all of your lifestyles, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and free five, five free travel packs with your purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com dot com slash c h g o s o x again that is athleticgreens.com slash c h g o s o x to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance you guys are looking at me did i say something wrong no i'm looking at the cactus oh I'm yeah, looking at the cactus you have a too. cactus on your lap thank you to lawrence who not only has been uh missed uh, horrified at uh, your michael mcdonald takes but also ran over this cactus yeah. uh the second we brought it up so thank you to mailman it's Jack not a real cactus it guys it's not a real one but Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Uh, Lawrence is here for you as well. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Law on the Draw. And uh, if you have any requests, uh, just feel free to you know, email him. If you want any USFL pennants, he's got them. Uh, you know, so uh, that's that's Lawrence. He's a, a real nice uh, guy, always willing to help out. You guys want to talk about Andrew Vaughn? Let's do it. All right. So we debated. I brought a helmet for this segment. Yes, I think there's there's a Bears one right there, there that looks uh, real padded out here. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, I want, we want to talk about his playing time. Uh, I know Herb's been a little bit mortified. Not mortified. Um, and and Vinny, miffed. Miffed uh, is a better word. I feel okay with it. Um, and Vinny is our Switzerland in this this uh, <laughs> this discussion. So we'll go to you, Switzerland. Uh, how many games do you think Andrew Vaughn should play this year? Uh, Herb said seventy five percent of the games. I did the math, told him the amount of games, and then he got mad at me. No, um, <laughs> so no, I said seventy five of the platoon between him and Gavin Sheets. And if he's not in that platoon, he should find a way on the field either way. Okay, that's what I was saying. All right, but Vinny, yeah, how, how I, many games do you think I mean, Andrew the, Vaughn the should answer, play today? The answer is as many as possible. Okay, because Andrew Vaughn is very good. And when he's in the lineup, he will help your he will give your team a better chance of winning. That being said, he doesn't he doesn't have to play in a hundred percent of the games. No. And no player on this team, besides maybe Jose Abreu, is going to come and Tim Anderson are going to come close to playing in a hundred percent of the games. That might be maybe Luis Robert falls into that category too. But um I mean, listen, Andrew Vaughn, they they think the world of this guy. I mean, you saw the reports from the national writers that it was a non-starter for them in trade talks with the A's, that they that they, they were not going to part with Andrew Vaughn. I, I don't think that the, the – there's no connection between, you know, when he might not be in the lineup one day versus how the team feels about him. The team thinks he's going to be a middle-of-the-order hitter for them for years to come. So they're going to do what they think is the best for him. They're going to they're going to do what they think is the best for him, and they think he's really good right now, or he wouldn't be on this team right now. He is a huge part of this team, both in the present and in the future, and they are going to treat him accordingly. Right now, Andrew Vaughn has played in seven of the nine games for the White Sox so far. But are started you, only six. But started only six. Yes. Uh, so six out of nine, sixty-six percent. Uh, if he start, you know, plays in sixty-six percent of the games, right there, uh, that'd be one hundred and eight games. That's what she said. Is it? <laughs> Oh, okay. Thank you. Nice. Thanks, Joey. Uh, Joey's our producer today. Uh, thank you again for that meme, by the way, of Tony LaRussa uh, mm. listening to uh, the hip hop head, uh, listening to all of our easy, uh, easy listening albums. But uh, all right, so 108 games right now, he's on pace to start. Yeah. Uh, 124 games, he's on pace to play in, uh, even if he's not a starter. Yep. That's still too low for you? Oh, yeah. Very, very, very low. I averaged out. I didn't. He didn't win the Rookie of the Year last year, but I averaged out the last five Rookie of the Year in the American League who were hitters. So I took out mm-hmm. Randy Rosarena, and I took out uh, Kyle Lewis from 2020, and I averaged out how many games they played in their second year after they won the Rookie of the Year. It came out to be 134. Okay. 134 out of 162. You know what the percentage of that is, Sean? You should know. 83. Boom. It's nice. 83% of the games. <laughs> I believe that Andrew Vaughn is that good. Okay. The way they speak about him, they speak about him. Only Luis Robert gets spoke of in a higher regard on the White Sox, I believe. So let's play him as such. He's an everyday player. Find a spot for him to play. If he's not a designated hitter, find a spot for him to play either right field, left field, second base, mm. third base, first base. I mean, he'll play any of those spots. I don't know, second, third, second, the manager, or third. The manager will play him in any of those spots. Boom. Yeah. So yeah. so let's get that bat in there and have him either pass or fail. 
versus right-handers. I want him, eventually he's going to have to be an everyday guy versus right-handers. And he didn't play in college versus only left-handers. He was the Golden Spikes Award winner yeah. with a 500 average because, or 500 on base percentage, right? Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, because he was doing this versus righties and lefties. Yes, he struggled as a rookie year versus righties like any rookie would. But I think the only way to get better at something is to do that and have some reps at doing it. And in those at-bats, improving. So, yes, I want him to play as much as he can. Five out of every six game. And last year he had over 300 or nearly 300 at-bats against right-handers. So it's not like he was, you know, not not facing right-handers. He faced right-handers more than he did left-handers last year. And, you know, the 134-game mark, I honestly don't mind. That's fine. That's about 10 more than I thought that he'd play. The issue is, are they being played at DH or are they being played in the outfield? Because those are two different asks of Andrew Vaughn. And also, he's just not... I think capable or proved himself to be capable enough to be trusted in the outfield on, you know, at least a a three time a week basis. I do think that he will probably hurt himself again out in the outfield. That's my biggest concern with him playing the outfield. If he wants to DH 140 games, that's fine with me. But if, if, if if he's playing 140 games in between DH and first base and third base and left field and right field, then I think the White Sox are going to start running into problems. But I can see like, him rusting like he needs to play like I understand that Gavin Sheets also needs to play that's why I say find Andrew Vaughn the playing time when he cannot DH and Andrew Pollock is known for injuries get him off his feet every once in a while let Andrew Vaughn get in the field same thing with Aloy Aloy does not deserve a hundred percent to be in the left field in left field guaranteed a hundred percent he's been playing well all right, actually, sorry. The time we ran into Luis Robert still kind of pisses me off. But get Andrew Vaughn a couple starts there. He doesn't have to play seven games a week in left field. One of those games he can play designated hitter. I just think he's just that good of a hitter that you need to see his bat in the lineup more often than not. And I'm, I'm sure, see, there 66% of the time. I want it 83% of the time. Just raise it up a little bit. Everything, everything you just asked for, you're going to get. Thank because Jesus. that's the way Tony La Russa manages this ball club. We saw it last year, right? He is going to mix and match guys around. Nobody is going to play, with very few exceptions, as I said, 100% of the time at one at one position. You're gonna, we've already seen Jose Abreu DH. We've already seen uh, you know Adam Angle get in there, too. You bring up rusting. Tony said that about guys last year when, when people were going, why the hell is Jake Lamb playing today? Why the hell is Billy Hamilton playing today? The answer is because he wants to prevent those guys from rusting. And so even if Andrew Vaughn sits at the top of the depth chart, there's guys behind him that need to not rust. And Andrew Vaughn is going to play a ton. You do not need to worry about it. And he's probably going to play a lot of positions too. But there are other guys that Tony LaRusso wants to make sure get in the games because guess what? You need those guys when October rolls around too. And those guys couldn't, can't come off the bench in game four of the ALDS and expect to succeed when they didn't get to play at all during September because you ran the same lineup out there every single day. This and, and, and that's what you're going to see from LaRusso. And, and I think what you're asking for is what you're going to get, even if it maybe doesn't line up with 100% in every single category. Right, and especially every single game. If you don't see Andrew Vaughn in a lineup, maybe take a deep breath. I think I think it's okay. I think he'll be taking a deep breath too because this was still a 93-win team last year that played him the third most amount of games. And yes, that was due to injuries. He was forced up into more situations than he was originally expected to, but they still t- trusted him to play the third most amount of games for the White Sox last year at 127. So I, I do think the 134 number that you throw out makes sense. And then when Gavin Sheets came up last year, which was around June 29th, uh, they played about 85 games uh, from June 29th to the end of the season. And if you average out the games that Andrew Vaughn played when Gavin Sheets was up, he played in about 75% of the games, which would be around 125, you know, maybe just because if he's performing well, right, maybe they start benching Eloy a little bit, give him some breathers and have Andrew Vaughn start. But I, I do think that if, bit, if, yes. if, I don't know about benching, but like, you know, rest day, day or, day or maybe, maybe Vaughn's the better option. Uh, but I do think that you're going to see if Andrew Vaughn continues to hit like the way he has six out of the seven games, you're going to probably see him more and more in that lineup and more and more at DH because if he's red hot, I don't think Tony's going to, you know, you know, bench him or per se uh, for the sake of platoons. And his versatility 
is going to only increase the number of opportunities he's going to get. Mm-hmm. If this guy was just a first baseman, you know what I mean, then he was going to have a hard time getting in the lineup anywhere but that DH spot because they have Jose Abreu. But Andrew Vaughn is capable of playing, as you just laid out, five, six different positions when you include DH. Mm-hmm. That's going to – I mean, guys are going to need days off, and he's going to be able to go and, and, and spell them. And so he – you know, everybody kind of laughed last year – when Tony LaRusso would describe Leuri as an everyday player that happens to play everywhere, maybe that's a uh, an apt description for Andrew Vaughn too. Is an everyday guy who might not rack up a ton of time at one given position. And I wonder what his usage will look like once May first comes around. Once we shrink from twenty eight to twenty six, Danny Mendick won't be on this roster anymore. Jake Berger possibly won't be on this roster anymore. And Sitting then- Mendick down. I mean, who else are you going to send down? Some of those pitchers they have. Uh, right, but, you know. They s- need those pitchers Se- Severino, right now. Severino will get sent down when Giolito comes back, and then probably uh, when Lynn comes back, then uh, who Jimmy Lambert, Jimmy Lambert yeah. would get sent down, and then you would need to shrink by two anyways. You're probably going to get rid of Berger or Mendick. That just would open up, you know, if Moncada needs a break, maybe Andrew Vaughn plays third base. If Garcia needs a break at second base and, and they Harrison, need to use yeah. Harrison at third, maybe we see Andrew Vaughn at second base. That's when I know that they're really serious about him getting playing time, though, is when you see him at second base. They're either desperately injured. It happened injured. one time yes. last year. <laughs> they're either desperately and, and very severely injured or they are just desperate for him getting playing time. So we'll, we'll see how Andrew Vaughn's usage works. But I don't mind 134 games. We can we can shoot for 134 and monitor that for the entire uh, rest of the season. And then uh, if he gets there, you're going to be looking back on on your week one reaction and, and being like, oh boy, might have might have gone overboard a little. Should bit we play then. a little game? 134 <laughs> and a half games. Do you want to take the over under on that? Oh, that's under. Okay, I'm, all right. I'm I'll, I'll take the under too. I was yeah. just seeing if I can win some money here. All right, let's talk about the uh, White Sox offense real quick. We got about five minutes. We'll hit some uh, quick uh, mailbag questions too. Uh, I want to throw up these uh, offensive stats for the Sox so far. This is their White Sox Statcast data right now. When you look at them compared to the league when it comes to runs scored Damn. Eh, not great folks 21st uh, they've only scored 38 runs uh, this year which is 21st so bottom half of the league they're in the likes of Minis- or, uh, Miami and Cincinnati and Milwaukee but also Houston and New York is down there it's only been three games uh, but you look at the stat cast data the White Sox are hitting the ball hard hits at 95 miles per hour plus that's a hard hit ball they have 116 that is second in the MLB hard hit percentage they are hitting the ball hard 48.9% of the time that is first in the MLB swing percentage 18.9%. That is first in the league. They are swinging often and a lot, uh, and they're not striking out too often. They're not walking as well. Uh, and then average distance, 177 feet. That's sixth in the MLB. Not a lot have gone out for the Sox home run-wise, but they are hitting the ball deep. Ground ball rate, that's at 40.7%. That is in the top 10 lowest for the MLB. That is great to see after the continued struggles of ground ball hits last year. And then barrels per plate appearance, 9.2. So you could just say, at least when they go through the order, they're at least getting a barrel, which is a hard hit ball that is launched at 18 to 28 degrees, I believe. And you see, you know, Tim Anderson's ball yesterday that was hit at 105 miles per hour and at a 28 degree launch angle, and it almost went out. You know, what I a mean, catch! Like My goodness, an insane catch <laughs> keeps Tim Anderson from having another home run. So the White Sox are hitting the absolute hell out of the ball. I know that you know people are worried about the runs coming along. We've only seen the 10 run output for the Sox, but so far. Far, the stat test data is showing the White Sox offense so far so good. And remember, you're doing this versus tough teams with tough pitching staffs with the Tigers, the Mariners, and the Rays. So it's even more impressive that they have the stats they have. The results are not there. The process right now is awesome. Well, and you look at the Tigers, they score five runs and ten runs in, in that series. And then you look at the Mariners, the Mariners almost made it into the playoffs last year because of their pitching. They had a negative run differential and that was because they could not score runs to save their lives. Their pitching was fantastic last year and the Rays had the most important bullpen of any team. They had the most war for any bullpen unit uh, in the MLB uh, and they used like 40 guys. They're, they're always rotating people in to make things work and make that bullpen as disgusting and as uh, 
stamina and ready to go as possible. And seeing the White Sox perform this well, uh, even though the runs haven't come just yet, I feel like there's going to be an entourage of hits coming soon, hopefully, just with the way that they are hitting the ball. And Bieber would have been a very tough uh, matchup for them today, but the, the game uh, getting delayed and uh, canceled today. So that we'll see that uh, doubleheader in July, uh, July 12th. But uh, yeah, those are the offensive numbers for the White Sox uh, with StatCast data. Let's head into some Monday mailbag questions. These were sent in to the CHGO Lounge members of CHGO. You can become a member at allchgo.com. Sent these in to our members-only Discord. We'll start off with Sam's question. Vinny, if Vince Velasquez and Johnny Cueto look like not viable options to shore up the back end, who is the most realistic trade target we could get in the coming months? I think Frankie Montas is still the number one option. You'd think that that uh, name would be included with what the A's are projected to do this year. But, I mean, I think you got to wait and see kind of how things stack up. I mean, we're only we're only nine games into this season. Uh, you don't know when the sellers uh, kind of emerge until a little bit further down the road. But uh, once they do, you're going to see guys, particularly those on, uh, you know, expiring contracts, uh, be talked about an awful lot. Uh, keep your eye on Montas. He was one of the best, uh, best in the American League last year, and uh, he doesn't have an expiring contract this year, which could drive that cost up a little bit. Right. Um, we'll see if that is uh, revisited uh, come July. Yeah, if the White Sox continue to have some guys lower in the levels produce, so a lot of the uh, players in uh, single A, double A, triple A, uh, they're producing well so far, and Jake Berger's producing well, so maybe the pieces that are not Andrew Vaughn could become more enticing to the Oakland A's. Right before you go, Remember the White Sox were rumored to go and get uh, Kendall Graven before he became a White mm-hmm. Sox. Same thing. I think you heard the rumors about Liam Hendricks a couple of years before and Yasmani Grandal. You hear the smoke around these players, and then the White Sox get him. Lance Lynn, the year before he was traded to the White Sox, there was rumors that they were going to get him in 2020. So, yes, check in on Frankie Montas. Maybe the price comes down for where the White Sox are because we heard that it's ridiculous and it's Andrew Vaughn. Stop, Oakland, now. Come on now. You know that's not true. We can get you Jake Berger. That man looks like a Major League Baseball player forever. What about uh, Corbin Burns? I mean, that was a White Sox rumor for a while. We getting Corbin Burns on the South he got real. He got real good that year. He did get real good. I, uh, what was year. the sticky point? We're not trading on Nicky Two Strikes? It was Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, reportedly, uh, for that trade. Uh, I would take that one. <sighs> did we balk on that or did the Brewers balk on oh, that? Oh, I don't know. I'm don't. sure the Brewers are like, no. Hell no. Yeah, I don't I don't this think this is a stud we got. And then Corbin Burns went out and won the NL Cy Young. Um, yeah, he won the NL Cy Young. Yeah, he did. Right? Yeah. He won the NL Cy Young. Uh, the next question comes from Other Sean. If you're doing a Mailbag Monday, what do you think the lineup will look like when everyone is healthy? Do you see Pollock or Yohan hitting higher in the lineup? I could see one of them in the two spot and maybe moving everyone down. Or Robert to clean up with Grandal behind him. Let's get that first ever win against the Guardians tonight. Eh, well, that's delayed till Tuesday. Um... I don't think that the one, two, three, four will change when Pollock and I don't um, think the one, Makata's two, three, back. four, five will change once those two guys are back. No, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those guys, Yohan six, Pollock seven. Pollock seven, and then so Pollock playing right, Moncada playing third, Aloy playing left at fifth, fourth, Grandal catching. Yeah. Rayu at first, third. This is very helpful, I'm sure, for the listeners that we're doing the lineup Backwards. in reverse yes. order. <laughs> Robert second. If you listen to Anderson far, first. You deserve it. So then we'll probably put Vaughn eighth at DH and then Josh Harrison at ninth. Harrison slash Garcia at second. Makes so sense. That's yeah. your lineup. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to slot in. Tony LaRusso doesn't need to be a mystic to figure that one out. That one's, I uh, always that one's pretty damn easy. Would move. Yasmani ahead of Obreu just to get more on base there, but I understand why they do because Jose has earned third third spot in the lineup, and whenever he says he's yeah. not a third hitter anymore is when you move him off of that. Yeah, I, I think that you know the White Sox lineup could be very, very different, but right now I think that's a part of the clubhouse culture too. It's like T.A. wants to be that first guy. Abreu wants to be that and third guy. And they're good at it. So and it works. They, yeah. they are good at it too. But I do think that there could be like an optimized like White Sox lineup where you, you're making sure that, you know, there's there's more, you know. Like, I think, I think the, the point is that there might not be a lot of ways to screw this up. It's that good. You know what I mean? It's that deep. This collection of hitters are that productive that it, it, it might not. you might not be able to screw it up regardless of where you put And them. speaking of what Vinny was talking about, where a lot of guys are going to get a lot of at-bats, to have the optimized lineup, there's not going to be a thing because you're not having pretty much eight guys who are the same. Right. You the know, optimal lineup is different every single day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So well, then you want the guys to just be comfortable where they are if they're in the lineup for the majority of the time. Right, but you're right. I mean, like, Abreu, he drives in the most runs every year for the MLB, but, like, if you get Anderson, Robert, and Grandal on, especially with their averages and on-base percentages, you know, it's better to have three guys on than it is, you know, just two guys. But, I mean, again, it, it is just, you know, picking hairs or picking hairs? Nicking, picking nits. Nitpicking. Yeah, picking pick. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Uh, final one. This one's from Mikey. Uh, who's going to be the first White Sox to reach 10 home runs? Aloy Jimenez. Okay. I'll say Abreu. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Abreu, too. Abreu's hitting the absolute hell out of the ball. And I, I, I know it's April Abreu, um, but, uh, you know, the, the whole talks before, pre, you know, spring training is, eh, maybe this might be my last year. So maybe uh, Jose Abreu's just emptying the gas tank here because can, he is murdering baseballs right now. Can also see Yasmani Grandel hitting, like, six in three days. Right. Yeah. He'll, just, <laughs> he'll be, he'll be the, 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 the click to pick uh, for the next three games against the Guardians because they'll have six home runs. Um, that's going to be one sight to see. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up and uh, head to three games in Cleveland? I'm glad that they got rained out today. And I'm glad Cleveland did it early so we don't have to face all four of their pitchers. Now it's, you know, I still we got to still face Bieber, which sucks. But one less guy at the back end because they can throw it. Mm-hmm. And this year they're hitting it too, which is weird because they're pitching to that guy, Jose Ramirez. Yeah, maybe, don't do it. Maybe we won't see him in July. Maybe he'll be on a different team. Uh, but yeah, we don't have to see uh, Cal Quantrill. So the White Sox dodged a big bullet uh, missing the Cal Quantrill start. But yes, Bieber, McKenzie, and Plezak are, I think, the three that you're going to see for Cleveland. So that is a tough, tough one, two, three that the Sox will face. We'll be previewing that tomorrow. 4.30 pregame for the White Sox and Guardians game. We'll also be having a pregame on Wednesday and Thursday. The Thursday one, I think, is an 11.30 pregame, but uh, the one on Wednesday will be a 4.30 pregame. So 4.30 tomorrow and Wednesday pregame. Me, Vinny, and Herb here for you. We'll also be joining you after the last out is made for White Sox postgame. We'll be here on Thursday as well, 11.30 pregame, and we'll join you after the last out is made there as well. We appreciate everyone joining joining us here in the chats shout outs to mike connor rex uh ralph luis roberts butt cheeks steve uh steve-o as well and uh, mailman jack we appreciate everyone participating in the youtube chat and we will talk to you tomorrow go socks